I really liked my homily at the 7.30 mass. I wish I could just play it back and go sit down. And just, ah, but no. Got to try again. Roll the dice. Ah, the Jewish temple. 2,000 years ago, the Jewish temple in Jerusalem was the holiest place on earth. So today, where is the holiest place on earth? The holiest place on earth is wherever Jesus Christ is reserved in the tabernacle. So that's in every Catholic church around the world. Orthodox churches of the East, too. I believe they've got tabernacles, too, although it's a little more iffy. But needless to say, wherever the true presence of God is, there is the holiest place on earth. And so we have that here in every Catholic church around the world. And then, of course, we enter into the the one never-ending eternal sacrifice of Christ on Calvary as well. So here's Jesus being offered to the Father, literally. We're entering into that. So this is the holiest place on earth, along with all of the other thousands of Catholic churches around the world. But 2,000 years ago, there was one place that was the holiest place on earth, and that was the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. That was it. That was the most religious place in the world. That was the most catechetically instructed in its priests and its leaders. It was this place where God had worked covenant between Abraham getting to Isaac, changing his name to Jacob and Israel, and then Moses, and then King David, and the whole bit, and it's there. It's all of salvation history in the location. So Jesus today is really upset that God's house, that this place which should be focusing on God and the mind of God and the things of heaven, has become worldly and temporal. And so he goes in there and knocks over the money changers and he's made a whip out of a cord and smacking people around and all that. And people don't accost him. They don't tackle him and go, hey, we got a crazy guy. Call 911. Get this guy out of here. They don't do that. They don't do it for two reasons. Number one is he's God and he has power over hostile wills. We see that played out multiple times in the gospel where Jesus does something. And others want to do something about it. They want to like arrest him or beat him up or something, and then they, they don't. And they, it's like they can't because God's power just stops them. It's like that one time when they grabbed Jesus and dragged him to the top of the parapet to throw him off. They get to the top and they look around and he's gone. He just literally disappeared in their midst. So he's God and he's got this power to prevent them from accosting him as he knocks over their money tables and whips them. But the other is, too, that they all kind of know, like, whoever this guy is, he's got a point. We shouldn't be selling things here in the temple of God. We should just do that, like, outside outside the temple. I mean, there's the wall. Let's just sell all that stuff out there. How did we ever allow these merchants to get in here in the first place? How, How did this happen? But the people at that time in that place are thinking like the world thinks. Let's make a buck. That's whatever kind of deal. And Jesus isn't okay with that. Not, not for the people that are in a covenant with him. He wants them to think like God thinks. He wants them to know how God thinks. And to live like it. It's normal enough for all of us to fit in with the Joneses. And look and act like everyone else around us we naturally want to fit in. But that isn't always what we're supposed to do. There are times when we're, as Christians, called to not fit in, to look different, and to think differently, to act differently. In our first reading today, 
The Jews are given the Ten Commandments, and this is a big deal for them, a really, really big deal. They're so happy, they're so happy. Moses comes down from the mountain, look what God gave us. Here are the Ten Commandments. Well, people in our world today don't like the commandments of God. They certainly don't like the commandments and the teachings of the Catholic Church. Such a, uh, an onerous organization with all these horrible, unfair, unjust laws that, that make people feel terrible about themselves and give them a conscience trip and all of this other stuff. No, it's the mind of God. And a lot of people don't like the mind of God. They like trading coins in the temple. And that's where we are. It's every generation has struggled to think like God instead of to think like the ways of the world. As I read through yesterday preparing this homily, read through those Ten Commandments that you all just hopefully read through with the lector here at Mass, instead of seeing that as like, oh, great, don't commit adultery, don't kill, don't covet, don't steal. Oh, God is such a killjoy. Now, as we read that, we go, man, this is common sense. But more than that, there's a sense of amen. Amen, amen, amen. I know that if I live these things, I will be happier than if I don't live these things. I know that if I live these commandments, then through me, the lives of other people will be better than if I just live like everyone else kind of thing. The Ten Commandments for the Jewish people were their map. It was the treasure map. This is how you get from here to the kingdom. And man, are we glad we got the treasure map. Of the five first books of the Bible, they're called the Torah. Their Torah means law in, Jew, in, Jew, in, in Hebrew. One of the five books, I don't remember if it was Leviticus or Numbers or Deuteronomy, it was one of those three, got lost. So Moses writes these five books, etc., or as contemporaries do, one of them got lost. I mean, there's only one copy. And of course, the Jews are getting conquered and all these other things. One of them gets lost. It's lost for centuries. And then it's found. It's found hidden away in the back of the Jewish temple, I think. Anyway, when it's found, all of the citizens of Jerusalem are called to the temple. And the priests get up there and they start reading through it. And everyone is crying. This is actually in one of those five books, or maybe it's Kings or Samuel that comes after them. And everyone's weeping and crying. They're just like, thank God we found this book. And the book is just filled with commandments. Do these things. Don't do these things. And the people rejoice that they had it. They had more of the mind of God. More of how they're supposed to live in accordance with God, in communion with God. How they're supposed to live amongst each other in living these commandments. They didn't see them as onerous and, and, and power-driven or exploiting or cruel or unjust. They saw them as pure goodness because that's what they are. They're given by God and they're pure goodness. In our world today, as with every generation, we try to fit in and we try to make the most of our world that we live in. And if it means that we need to set aside some of God's commandments to fit in and to be worldly and and to have a comfortable life, then that's what most people do. And that's a sad thing. That's a sad thing. 
because consecutive generations living that way, we end up back at Sodom and Gomorrah. So a word about Sodom and Gomorrah, they didn't have the Ten Commandments. They didn't have any of the Bible. Jesus had not come yet. In fact, Abraham had not even come yet. And yet God wiped them out. Why did he do that? He'd say to God, that's not fair, God. You didn't even give him the commandments yet. And God would say, yes, I did. It's written in every human being's DNA. I didn't have to tell Adam and Eve or Cain and Abel not to kill one another. They instinctively knew not to kill one another. So when Cain murdered his brother Abel, he knew it was wrong. And he was hiding from me. Even though I had never told him not to kill his brother Abel, he knew it was wrong. And he was held accountable. The people of Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed because they knew in their DNA, they knew what the laws of nature were, that they weren't supposed to commit fornication, adultery, or sodomy. And if they did, there would be bad consequences. Well, today we not only have the laws of nature that the people of Sodom and Gomorrah had, that Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel had, but today we have all of the commandments of God. And we have God incarnated in flesh in Jesus Christ. And yet we're living like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, with every sexual license and justifying it, and even changing genders. And these things are evil. I mean, apocalyptically evil. They really are. But we've gotten used to it. We grew up in it. It's like, hey, it's just the way it is. But believe me, it's not the mind of God. And so God gives us these commandments. And by these commandments, I mean the commandments and the teachings found in the Catholic Church. Because God doesn't confuse us with thousands of different religions. He just gave us one. The one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Founded upon the first pope, Peter, going all the way to Francis. Saintly popes and terrible popes. But it's the one church with those same teachings going all the way back to the apostles. This is truth. This is life. This is the way. This is the treasure map to the kingdom of heaven. And yet we discard it. We go, oh, how I wish I were free and didn't have this. Believe me, you lose the map. You lose your way. And you're stuck in the middle of the ocean with nobody to find you. I finished with this story, John Newton. I gave a homily and I, uh, with John Newton in it a few years ago, but it seems kind of apropos, so I'm going to drag out his little story again. John Newton was an Englishman. He died in 1807. All right, so that was 200, just a little over 200 years ago. One, two, a little over 200 years ago. So John Newton uh, somehow became a very wealthy man. He was able to get a boat, a transatlantic boat, which was a wooden boat with sails in the late 1700s. And he was part of the slave trade. Take off from England, go down to West Africa, abduct a bunch of Africans, chain them into the holes of this boat, set sail through South America or North America, sail them at a port, pick up maybe some cotton or something from the New World and sell back to England and sell it. If you could just do one trip, if you could just make one trip without sinking, you were a multimillionaire. 
you were Bill Gates, you were stinking rich, just if you could do one trip. He did multiple trips. He was stinking rich for his time. He went blind. And I don't know at what point in his life he went blind, but he lost his sight and went blind. And somewhere along the line, he had this powerful conversion. And I don't know when this conversion happened. But he had this powerful conversion. And he would go on to write to say how horrible and unjust it was that there would be slavery, that there would be this slave trade. So he turned against what had made him wealthy. And he finished his days as a, as a lay monk in a monastery, sweeping and mopping floors. So even though he was blind, he could feel where the walls were, and his mop or his broom could hit the walls. And so that's what he did until his dying day. He was a, a man of repentance and penance. He wrote the song, Amazing Grace. And in there he says, I was blind, but now I see. Now I see. When he had eyes, and he had millions of dollars, and 1700s millions of dollars since, he had the world by the tail. But man, was he blind. God saved him by taking away his sight so that he could see. And what he could see was, I can't live with the values of the world whatever era or epoch of time you live in. I've got to live with the values of heaven in the mind of God. And if I do, I will be set free. I will find the way home to the kingdom of heaven. And I might even take others with me on that great journey. God has given us an incredible roadmap to his mind and the way he thinks and to true freedom that's not found in being bound by woke culture and the horrible wretchedness that has become our world. It's found in Jesus Christ and in the commandments and sacraments of the Catholic Church. And this is a beautiful, wonderful thing, a great gift from God.